Welcome in, listeners, to another amazing episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have two amazing guests for our show today. Joining us is Eric N., who is the playwright uh, of a new show called The Weak and the Strong, as well as Yael Haskell, who plays the Junko Bird in the show. And The Weak and the Strong is playing December 8th through the 18th at La Mama Experimental Theater Club in the East Village. Eric Yael, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Very glad to be here. Nice to be in the wings. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I am so excited to have you here because, and, and well, to finally have you here and to talk to you about this great show, um, which when I first read it, being from Utah, you know, out West, I was like, yeah, rodeo, like, let's do this. And then the more I dug into it, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. We're also bringing this stuff into it as well. Um, Eric, how about you tell us a little bit about the show? Uh, well, I, I was trying to figure out the the history of it, and maybe there are two plums on the plum tree. There, the the first is the the reason the the reason for writing the play, and then uh, the rewards of doing it. And the reasons for writing it are, are I'm very um, uh, foggy headed and uh, clumsy. So I've been hit by cars many times. I, four times, two as a pedestrian, two on a bike, and one, one when I was in a car. I've been hit by cars a lot. So I, I, I've had the opportunity in my life to think about what what my last words should be or what my last moment should be, and it could either be, oh no, or some more awful version of that. Or, or my last moment, my summary moment, uh, could be loving, could be just an an explosion of love. So I've been interested in rehearsing love as a response to emergency, or love as a response to disaster, and that leads me to Saint Paul, whose whose life was disastrous in so many ways. He he caused disasters, and he was in a bunch of shipwrecks, and was beaten many times um, and imprisoned. Um, and he found a way to respond to those events with overwhelming love. So I, I wanted to understand the paradox of that or the two poles of that. I wanted to acknowledge that life is sometimes very disastrous, sometimes disasters of our own making, and and that the disastrousness of life doesn't prohibit and in fact invites wild love, love beyond understanding. So that's really what the play is about. Then it's it's set in the Southwest because my family is set in the Southwest. And when I think about love or or how love is rooted in my life, it it's rooted in my family. So uh, there are direct experiences or images that that are in the play that that come from my life to really put my skin in the game, to make the play disastrous for me, to make it uh, confessional or, 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 or engaged in a way that keeps the stakes high. But then because it's about the, the explosive character of love or, or love that just keeps radiating, um, the form of the play is, is uh, discombobulated or, or um, ex explosive. Um, uh, uh, move, it moves from 
biography or moves from the Southwest to gosh knows where and, and geographically takes on the whole world, but then it poetically takes on all kinds of images. So that's the history of the play and some themes. And then the rewards of doing it are, are meeting people like Yael. And the writing a play for me is an excuse to hang out with cool people. That I'm extremely shy. And as foggy as my head is, so, so is my personality weak and prickly, I guess. It, it's, it's hard to be of work. So I, I try to write in a way that invites uh, the talent and uh, collaborative spirit of, of good people. So it's, I'm able to feel friendship, even, even though it's, a, it's kind of a project-based friendship. So I'm very pleased to get to know Yael and, and the other beautiful people in the La Mama, Great Jones Rep, and Planet Connections family. Long-winded answer, but it's the truth. Now, I love that. That's beautiful. Yael, what was it like developing the show, particularly this character of the Junko Bird? I have never played a bird before. So that alone is absolutely thrilling. <laughs> um, I personally think in a, in a way that... I see reflected on the page in this script and in a lot of Eric's work. I was uh, familiar and dare I say a fan of Eric's plays before this experience. So I'm particularly grateful to work with him now and with this community. Um, but it, it feels quite, um, I think earlier in the process, I asked Eric what the difference between an angel and a bird is because both are in this play. And he said, not much, which feels like an encapsulation of what the process has been like and what the play is about, which is sort of understanding the, maybe the spiritual origins of the play, the ways in which it is and isn't based in these biblical texts and ideas and what happens when we bring spirituality and, and, sort of metaphysical ideals down to earth um, and what that looks like in practice and then what that looks like on stage because it's uh, we're asking the play is asking questions of you know how do we see love and manifest love and and um, propagate love and uh, foster it and make it grow and that's hard to to show on stage just an idea like that. So a lot of it has been very physical work of putting, of speaking the words, of feeling these sort of this abstract poetic text in our bodies and figuring out where that compels us to move in physical space. Um, we have a fabulous director, Glory, who is able to just see a scene in her head and sort of manifest it with bodies. So it's been very collaborative in a in quite a rewarding way. And Eric, how about you? Uh, how, what has it been like uh, developing this work on the stage? It's been a a, a real journey. That there was, I was reflecting on it. And the first draft was really written in 2014. It was written almost, you know, was written a while ago. And it's gone through a number of iterations. And sometimes it it's gone quiet. Um, uh, but it's always been tantalizing. It refuses to let go. The the source material and the collaborative partners are are just uh, I want to say alluring, but really they're also pro provocative. The, 
I, I want to live up to the talents of the great Jones rep and uh, La Mama really is a mama. It's it's I want to I want to make mama proud. Uh, so I guess going back again to that word personal, the 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 growth has been organic, but also very, very personal. And it's always in, in anything I write. It, the destination is the body of the performer. The destination isn't the isn't the head of the audience, although the minds of the audience count. Not even the hearts of the audience. The where I'm shooting for is, or where I'm going for is, the body of the performer. So I'm. It's great being here with you because I'm a big fan of musicals, and I, I my stuff is as nutty as a fruitcake, but it. It's it's not in antipathy to to Broadway or the mainstream. I love the way music vibrates in the body. Music s- stirs the body of the performer, and I I want my plays to stir a body in exactly the same way that Hello Dolly s- stirs the lungs of a singer. You know, so yeah, that's the that's it. it uh, uh, a, a long drive towards clarity where the rubric of clarity is a home in the body of the performer. Now I want to stick with you for this next uh, question, Eric. Uh, and I want to kind of tie it into some of the information sent to me. Um, I want to ask what is the message you're hoping or the thought you're hoping that audience members will take away and, uh, Especially because one of the things that that was mentioned uh, in this in this uh, show is that this has been inspired by Paul's letters to the Romans and the Hebrews, um, mm. and that you know it's a contemporary look at the mysterious compulsions that lead us to do what we wouldn't and avoid what we would. Mm. Um, so, what is you know is that the message or the thought you're hoping, or is there something more as well? Um, no, that's plenty. If I get any, if I get a tenth of that, that's that's great. the 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 notion is that we're born to love, even the even the really annoying people in our lives. There, everybody, we were all born to love. And monks had this idea that if you're if you're tired of being a monk, stay in the garden or show up at vespers. Show keep keep at it persist if you're if you don't believe in your capacity for love or if you're distracted by the annoying character or the people around you persist in love just keep going so th- th- that's that's kind of the plot of the play or the the arrangement of the play um there's a fellow who gets in his own way all the time but the the love in him doesn't stop working working him he's tormenting him sometimes and it even takes another generation really for the for the love to rupture out but the the lesson or the the moral of the story is persist in love it's your job and yael as a performer in the show is there a a message or thought you're hoping the audience takes away i think it's a um I think what Eric said, I mean, to phrase that as what I am taking from it as a performer who is inhabiting the words and their spirit is that love is 
or can be a choice. And I think that's what I find remarkable about the characters in the play is that they continue to make the decision to love, uh, which I think MLK said, I, I decided to love, which is shouldn't necessarily be radical, but it kind of is that, that you can choose to have an emotional experience or a spiritual experience and that maybe it is your responsibility to choose that experience. Um, and there are moments when I'm watching a scene happen and my gut reaction is stop loving him, like stop loving him after he does this to you. And the character keeps going and I have to look at myself and think, why is that my impulse, you know? And and not that love is necessarily always, always the right answer, although maybe it is. Um, and sort of encompassing or embodying that as uh, a responsibility and trusting in that, that's what I'm taking from this play, that it is possible to choose to love. And even if it's not benefiting you, it, there may be some some cosmic way into the universe in which it is benefiting us as a whole. Yeah, we live in a, a time of proliferating choices, a, a zillion choices that you, you scroll through Netflix, you scroll through Amazon. We're encouraged to build our lives around a, a myriad small choices, but maybe it's a good uh, time to simplify. And coming out of COVID, we're co a really contemplative period, or we're still in COVID, but engaged with COVID, let's let's maybe simplify our choices. And maybe there's one thing to choose that has a billion parts in it, rather than to choose the billion parts. So every, every day and every move, choose love. And what love is, you know, there's a lot to work out there, but the choosing can be simple. Well said. Well, wrapping up this first part of the interview, uh, Yael, I want to start with you by asking, who do you hope have access to the weak and the strong? Mm, I hope the weak and the strong can come. I, <laughs> um, I have the pleasure of actually working at La Mama, the institution as well. And I have learned since working here or, or working here has instilled in me a really great um, understanding of and desire to support access. And La Mama's worked very hard at what we call radical accessibility, which is trying to find ways for everybody to get into the theater in whether Broadway theater is not always accessible, primarily price-wise. Um, and it is one of our goals to make sure that whoever can come, who wants to see a show at La Mama can, and whether that's bringing the theater outside to the public, or it is making very inexpensive tickets available or through subsidies, et cetera. Uh, we have to, to, if we want to create radical work and revolutionary work, we have to cultivate a space in which that's possible. We have to. Um, so I think when I think about access, I think about people who may not have an interest in theater, who don't know they have an interest in theater. I think about people who like words a lot, but are not, um, may not connect to a lot of the, the stuff they see on stage, mainstream at least. Maybe they don't like the Macy's Day Parade and the musicals. This is a long-winded answer, but I think what I'm trying to say is I hope that plays like this that are uh, re really expand our definitions of theater and the stage play uh, become welcoming to a range of people. But that's no, no, that's that's a really good answer. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric, how about you? Who do you hope have access? 
Well, I would underscore uh, Yale's uh, uh, emphasis on aesthetic access. I, yes to everything, to people with uh, physical disabilities or people with financial need, all, all of that is of equal value, but just to pull out for a moment the, the uh, aesthetic access. I can imagine someone coming to this play and saying, I, three minutes in, I just don't get it. I just don't, or this place is, is telling me I'm, ex, this place excluding me, deliberately excluding me because it's in a form that's unfamiliar to me. But I think the production is working hard to soften the introduction. So there are things like this, like we have this conversation here uh, Yael is involved in a pre-show, which kind of will hopefully warm the audience up or convince them that they're in a friendly place. Um, the, this play, Weak and Strong, is one of 17 plays that were written about St. Paul. And different versions of about nine of those are going to be involved in our production. So there are going to be installations and rumors and uh, sort of shadows of these other plays so th th that an audience feels they're not coming in to um, evaluate an object or that an object is being, they're be being bombarded by an object, but that they're coming into a culture or an environment or uh, uh, a, a welcoming habit of community. Um, so aesthetic access, it, you, you, have, you have permission to not follow it moment by moment and and still fall forward into it. I want to now give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better. Um, and I want to start by asking uh, Eric, let's start with you. What shows or playwrights or composers in the past have inspired you? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, it, it may help with the welcome in a way. There was an outfit called Baca in Brooklyn years ago. And that's, that's kind of, where I cut my teeth and in this room, there would be Susan Laurie Park and Parks and uh, Mac Wellman, Jeff Jones and Laurie Carlos. And they've all become, they've been mentors to me over the, over the years. And I would say, especially Laurie Carlos, the, her, her work is dance oriented, guided by breath, intuitive, very loving. A lot of her plays involve cooking and, and healing. Um, so I, I aspire to something like that. And there have been occasions in, in my life where I felt like, oh, man, I just don't know if, if theater has what I need, or if I have what theater needs. And then an encounter with Lori would pull me right back on track. So her, her white chocolate for my father, or she was in the cast of spell number seven, and Tazaki Shange, that world, the, they, they call it, the, it, the word used to be choreo poem. I don't know if that still has balance, but poetic, dance-driven, breath-heavy, full-sweat theater is kind of what I'm about. That's so awesome. That I've never heard of that, so I appreciate you sharing that. That's I'm going to have to look into this now. Whole oh, other yeah. genre of theater. I'm, I'm, yeah. My interest is peaked. 
Well, a big like a, a sort of contemporary classic example would be for Colored Girls by Endazaki Shange. It's somewhere between a song and a spell and a, a revival and a confession, um, beautifully blurry. Oh, that's that is amazing. Okay, mm-hmm. that yeah. Cause that show was just, I, I remember when we talked about it, I was like, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. And I don't know where to place it, but I know that I loved it. And I, I need to sit with this for a minute and figure out what it is I'm, I'm feeling or thinking. Cause I, my brain didn't immediately go, Oh, that's that. It literally was like, there's a lot coming at me. I don't know what to do with it, but I know that this is something I enjoy, but what is this? So it was new and I, I, that's why I appreciated it, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I love that. I love having that experience where you're like, this is great. What do I do with it? You know? So the, a, like an, an analog, a simile might be if, if you saw company for the first time in a language you didn't speak, the dramaturgy would still work on you somehow. Yeah. So this is a Latvian version of company. Oh, cool. That's the slug line. Yael, how about you? What shows, composers, or playwrights have inspired you? I think I feel a lot of overlap with what Eric said in terms of I I connect a lot to very um, rigorous forms of theater and performance. Either what I love about Eric's work is the rigor of the words and the the physical the physical work involved in saying them, especially all in the right order. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my favorite things that I've ever seen are um, I saw Madame Butterfly at the Met when I was very young and I never forgot it. Uh, the the intensity of the emotion and the spectacle and the roses falling down from the ceiling and just knowing the amount of um, like human vibrato in the show um, was so impactful on me. Um, and that's why I love working at La Mama too. I my favorite shows I've ever seen are mostly here. Um, I think of Belarus Free Theater. It was a very um socially politically driven, physical, intense theater, fire on stage, uh representing the things that people are dealing with in the in the Balkans and surrounding areas with um with their bodies in this really remarkable way. I think of Pina Bausch. Um, and then I also love musicals. I was a real musical gateway kid. I can't, I can't lie about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I, know what happened to me. You're now you're among friends, musicals. That's the <laughs> <that's my> jam. <laughs> Eric, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Um, the, some of the happiest moments of my life have, have been just in a rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. Um, especially where I see the, the first drafts of things come together. I, I guess I like, as a writer, I like composition. And in a rehearsal room, you could see composition in 3D where, where different parts are allowed to inhabit the same space. You see metaphor being made palpably in front of you. So for me, it's uh, re- rehearsal is is the dream so it's been a, a, a different sort of process because i'm out here in albuquerque new mexico and they're making the play in new york so we check in on zoom from time to time and i read rehearsal reports i i deeply miss the uh, i would i wish i could rehearse with you guys but uh, in the meantime i'm i'm happy to feel the radiation 
you're it's, it's reaching me out here. Yael, how about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? That I get to be a bird. I mean, <laughs> there are so many things I, you know, there. when you're young, you just want to experience everything in the world. And I think that when I got to be in Wicked, the unauthorized camp musical in third grade, I, I thought I could be a scarecrow. Why would I ever want to ever do anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the, you know, the, the expansive possibility and the spontaneity, the fact that you can just see someone start to cry in a rehearsal. This did happen once just, just out of, um, just prompted by the art itself and the gathering of community. I think community and possibility and spontaneity are my three theater love words. Now I want to put a scarecrow in the play. Maybe there's still I dare time. you. Yeah. Junko send- turns into a scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> Already, don't worry. You'll see. You'll love it. We've come to my favorite question to ask us, and I'm very intrigued to learn your, both of yours. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with you, which is what is your favorite theater memory? Okay, I can give you a real answer and a, and an even more real answer. Wonderful. My real answer is at La Mama, we did um, a show called The Trojan Women, directed by Andre Serban and written by Elizabeth Suedos, uh, sort of a um, non-literal language, an abstraction of language. It, it, I don't even know how to describe it, sort of an operatic interpretation of the Trojan women in a entirely constructed language. And we had folks from Cambodia and Kosovo and Guatemala come and we had a cast in New York and we had a cast of about 50 people doing this show. And the energy of all these people who didn't speak the same language in a room able to communicate through this completely invented language was so spectacular. I mean, that's one of doing that show is one of my favorite memories of any context, um, theater or otherwise. And then my even realer answer is in the very first play I was in in preschool, I had to play a turtle and my best friend Jessica got to play an ice skater. And I never forgot that, especially now that I'm playing a bird. Mm-hmm. But not an ice skater or a scarecrow. Yeah. yeah. Turtle to bird. I mean, you're you're literally moving up in the world. Literally. That's true. No more. No, <laughs> I'm now sort of a, a biped. Right. Eric, what is your favorite theater memory? Well, this is pretty great. It's just, and then a lot of other stuff. If I may, I'll try to be succinct, but the, the, there are three. The, the first one is secret, but rehearsing at La Mama Umbria in, an, in a very old house, in an ancient house, with uh, um, Maura Donahue and a few other great people, Maura responded to some text in a in a way that I cannot reveal, but it, it was rem- it was remarkable and indelible. So first is a secret. S- second is sort of to this uh, rehearsal idea. I was developing a piece about tuberculosis in the tenderloin in in San Francisco, a piece called Phrenic Crush. And we were developing it in Iowa, University of Iowa. And there was one moment at which it was the first time we had run this very complicated scene. We had rehearsed it in parts. And at last we put all the parts together. It was an opera. So there there was a 
full orchestra going. And once you get that orchestra going, it's just, you got to go, you got to go, keep up with the orchestra, full orchestra, a choir, then two, two healthcare workers in rain ponchos being rained on while they climbed 40 foot ladders disappearing up into the grid. There was a 300 year old Filipino woman with tuberculosis who was, who was lost in the tenderloin. And then there was a demon sailor who was kind of bearing down on her from a huge ship. And all of these things were happening at the same time. I just remember saying, even though I was involved in the show, I just remember saying, wow, <laughs> it was really compound. It was a really rich, rich stew. Wow, that that sounds like quite the sight. Oh, it was awesome. It was it was really awesome. And then the third one going off of Yale's Yale's thing with the um first thing, my first time on stage, I I was Mr. Meat. It was a it was a, a food a food play, a food, nutrition, a play about nutrition. And I got to represent the protein. I was a proud representative of protein and Mr. Meat. And I was dressed all in red with a bone right over my heart. Um, and yeah, no going back, no going back after that. I hope that teacher hears this. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. The turtle and Mr. Meat. I love it. There, there's a play right there waiting to be written. <laughs> sick Go right there. Yeah. Well, there are there any other productions that um, that you guys have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you, uh, Yael or Eric? If you offer, thank you. I really appreciate your, this platform, Andrew. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, we've got some fabulous stuff coming up at La Mama uh, in January. We have two shows in partnership with Under the Radar at the Public. Uh, they are The Indigo Room by Timothy White Eagle and King Gilgamesh and the Man of the Wild uh, by a company from Toronto. Um, if I can also offer uh, right across the street from La Mama, you can see one of these shows and then you can go over to the Crane Theater and see the New York Neo-Futurists, which is uh, my company that does non-illusory two-minute plays that change every single week. So for, for all your theater needs, you can head down to East 4th Street. And Eric, do you have anything coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? The next things that are coming up is I'm directing a Joy Harjo play at the University of New Mexico and called Wings of Night Sky. And looking forward to that. I'm writing and revising a play called The Lost and the Sad, which is a partner play for the weak and the strong. So stay tuned for that. And then I, I work with a group called Still Write, stillwrite.org, and we run silent retreats for artists. And we're making plans for this coming summer. Amazing. Well, if our listeners want to get more information about The Week in the Strong or they want to get information about the two of you or reach out to you guys, how can they do that? You could just kind of walk up to me and, and that's that's okay. Uh, or you could reach me through stillwrite.org. Yeah, yeah. Or come see The Week in the Strong and I'll be there. I'll be there for some of the shows. Come find me and We'll hang out. If you walk up to La Mama on any given day at any given hour, there's a pretty good chance I'm here. Um, but if you'd like to to send a pigeon, uh, I've got a website and you can reach me there. 
My guests today have been Eric N., who is the playwright of The Weak and the Strong, and Yael Haskell, who plays the Junko Bird in the show. Uh, the Weak and the Strong is playing December 8th through the 18th at La Mama Experimental Theater Club in the East Village. Tickets and more information can be found at lamama.org. Uh, this is going to be a wonderful and great experience, a great show. So don't miss out. Head on over to lamama.org and get your tickets now. Eric, Yael, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you guys making the time for me. Thank you so much, Andrew. You, you've really made this easy and, and a pleasure. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by David Mumford and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>